we're focused on being this kind of like iceberg where you have at the tip of the iceberg, it's very, very simple to understand, it looks pretty easy, but then all this complexity underneath is taken care of for you. My job is to constantly push and drive up that water level up, up. So all you really see is the tip. That's Instament founder and all-around blockchain expert Jamil Sheikh sharing why he's building a company to enable enterprises to mint, distribute, and store crypto tokens as easily as Stripe makes it to process payments. Jamil joined me on stage recently for a live event in New York at Rise, created by Barclays. On this episode of Crafted, you'll hear Jamil explain why, after a decade of exploration in the blockchain and crypto world, he's decided to found Instament, and why he thinks it's positioned well for the next decade. Two quick notes before we dive in. We spoke to Jamil in December during a wild week in the crypto world. FTX was collapsing and its founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, was accused of fraud. Even normies were aware of the crazier-than-usual week in crypto, and so we started there. Also, our conversation is mostly jargon-free, so I promise you don't have to know about crypto to enjoy it. One financial term that would be helpful to know, though, is factoring. You'll hear Jamil talk about this. Factoring is basically when a company raises money today by selling the revenue it expects to receive in the future. Okay, here's my conversation with Jamil Sheikh, recorded live in December at a special Artium FinTech event at Rise in New York. So Jamil Sheikh is up to a lot in the world of crypto. He is uh, the founder of three different companies, Chainhouse, CBDC Think Tank. Chainhouse is a, a software development and advisory company in the crypto space and artificial intelligence and decentralized finance. CBDC Think Tank advises central banks uh, on what they should be doing in, in digital assets. Uh, and he has recently founded Instament, which he describes by saying it is what Stripe is for payments, Instament will be for tokens. Uh, in other words, it will enable enterprises to distribute and manage crypto assets seamlessly and securely. Jamil, thank you so much for joining us. So I wanna start with like a really intelligent question but I think the only question that most people have around crypto right now is what the hell is going on? So maybe we could just start there. So crypto is dead, right? SBF killed it? Crypto is not dead. You know, I used to work at Lehman and I remember um, my last day at Lehman, I got a package and the HR person that was giving me the package, this is 2008, was saying, you know, like, hey, this is the end of the world. This is how they were feeling it, right? And I remember people saying it was the end of capitalism. Um, and that was kind of the mood at Lehman at that time. I was at Lehman for four years and I was literally in the mortgage area. I was, started off with mortgage trading and then went off into securitization. And so it's not, it's not crypto is not dead. But I think what's happening with FTX is small, relatively speaking. You know, it's a couple billion dollars of potential fraud and it's emblematic of, of an industry that's very, very pro-risk. Um, you have a guy named Sam who ran FTX and he's still out in the media talking to people Right, so like, how much risk do you want to take? Right, he's continuing to take more risks, even though he's been advised not to really speak. Right, so you have a culture of risk that now is getting kind of whipped up and beat up, but the underlying technology and the underlying problems that it solves that doesn't go away. Right, so what it's solving, basically, the digital double spend problem, the ability to move value uh, through borders rapidly 
those problems and the solutions are not going to go away. So I think what's going to happen, I think it's a good thing, what's happening with FTA, with the crypto space, it's a good thing. We're going to have this kind of cleaning out process. We're continuing to build. We don't see a, a slowdown in the demand in the things that we're building. We don't see a slowdown. I run a very large community in New York City. We're about 35,000 people, blockchain NYC. We don't see a slowdown in the, the desire to continue to build. So you've chosen to build a new startup pretty recently. You've chosen to, to build Instament. You've been in this space for a long time. There are a lot of startups that you could have founded, and I'd love if you could tell us why you decided to, to found Instament. What problem are you trying to solve, and why this one among all the other opportunities that you could have pursued? Right. So I, I started mining Bitcoin in 2012, and I was like, what is this thing? Um, and I was sitting there with a laptop, a Sony Vio, and just it was humming away. It was the fan was whirring, and I was like, and I was like, what is this thing? People are talking about. It. There were some news articles about it, and then 2017 and 2018, I was like, let me get into the space. But I didn't know what to do in the space. Like it took really till um, the middle of last year to say, okay, now I understand the space. It took five years or six years to really understand what's happening in the space, who's doing what, and what was the real value. Like who's really building anything, and where is the real demand? Right? What's going to be the demand that the market wants? And so I projected myself out ten years. It's like, wait, ten years from now, what will enterprises want? If this is true, like, so if if blockchain solves these kinds of problems. What will enterprises want in 10 years uh, from today? Uh, and I reverse back into a product that I'm going to build today. And so in 10 years, the thesis is in 10 years, lots of assets will be tokenized uh, because tokens offer this frictionless movement of value, right? I can settle things and move an asset and equity. I can settle it rapidly or a fixed income instrument. I can settle rapidly. So an enterprise that has all these things and assets that are tokenized how can that enterprise manage all of it? You have an accounting department that might tokenize invoices. You might have, let's say, an art department that's tokenizing art. How does that enterprise, how does that organization manage all of that? Um, and Instrument is that solution. And so we do see, you know, like, uh, and you've seen the pitch deck, it's like 30 slides. We'll get to slide six and seven, and then a, a potential customer like, okay, we like it. And uh, we're interested and we want to get into a conversation. And so what, just if you could tease it out some more, why, why should enterprises care about crypto tokens and cryptocurrency? Like what is an example if you're Nike or Disney or FedEx, like why do you care? There's a lots, lots of different reasons. From a financial side, you get liquidity. There may be more liquidity, the ability to uh, get a broader audience. If you say, if you're an artist and you're tokenizing your art, you can put it out to a broader audience. Uh, if you're on the finance side, um, there's potential for more liquidity. The movement of liquidity is quicker uh, globally. Um, so that's true for payments. If I move payments through um, crypto, it'll move more quickly at lower fees. And I think the fees are going to continue to come down over time as we become more and more efficient. So the ability to do more globally, basically what the internet did for information, I don't need to go to a post office to send you a, a mail anymore. I can send you an email. What the internet did for information, the, the blockchain will, world will do for value. I can move value across. And then a token is just simply a representation of something of value, whatever, whether we can decide if that thing is of value or not is really up to the community and the public. Uh, but if we decide it's valuable, then I can move it around far more rapidly than I could with current systems. And that's what we talk to enterprises about. Say, do you feel like you have an invoice that you want to tokenize and put onto a public auction? and have the factoring companies bid down on their interest rate, is that of value to you? And not double spend it. And so like an invoice could be factored twice, right? So I can take an invoice and get money from you and then go take it to somebody else and can 
If blockchain solves that and makes it uh, less fraudulent, is that of interest? And I think a lot of organizations are saying yes, but it's early days. Can you talk more about the, the tagline that you gave me that I, I said it a second ago? Maybe you could repeat it so you get it right precisely, but the, in how you've used Stripe as an analogy. Can you paint that picture a little bit more of, of, of that right. API first company that you're building? Yeah, so Stripe initially was just APIs. You know, like payments is a complex thing. And so what Stripe does is makes it very, very easy for the developer to go in and have payments in their applications. I have an application and it needs to accept money. I want to accept a credit card. A long time ago, like 15 years ago, I would use something called authorize.net. They had an API. It was brutal to use. It was cumbersome, you know, and things didn't work right. And then if I moved to another merchant provider, API was a whole other thing. And Stripe just made it very, very easy, right? So, and then now Stripe is all these other tools that like once I'm plugged into the API and I'm, I have a business and it's doing payments, I need analytics. I need fraud detection, I need all these other pieces, I need KYC, and I get that all out of the box. And so we're leading in for token management with APIs. We make it very, very easy. You don't have to hire people, you don't have to hire a smart contract or a blockchain developer, which are relatively expensive, maybe a little bit cheaper now, but there's a few more of them. But relatively expensive, you don't have to do that. You hit an API and then we're adding in all this other value. So yeah, I, I want to tokenize an API, uh, my invoices, I want to tokenize uh, my office space, you can do it within a day. What's a, what's a use case that you'd, you'd be using the API to, to do? To right do now that? we're work, working with one large uh, German conglomerate in early days. So they, they factor for Amazon. This actually, Amazon is their client. They do a lot of factoring for Amazon. And um, they want to see if they can make, they can get more liquidity. You know, so let's say they factor, so they need to borrow money or um, they have a limited supply and they want to scale up their factoring. Can they go out to the public markets and bring money in to do factoring. Now, obviously, there's security laws that apply to this, but that's what they're looking at. How do we take something as simple as an invoice and make it such that somebody in the, in the public can buy that invoice or a fraction of that invoice? So I can put up $100 and buy a million-dollar invoice and get a return on that. And so we're exploring those right now. And as you're building an API-first company like a Stripe or a Twilio, what's important to you as a developer in building a, an API that people really want to use, that developers want to use? The most important thing that we focus on is um, the customer experience. That's the number one. How does the customer, whether they're the developer or they're the um, whatever department that's involved in assessing whatever transactions that are occurring, uh, are they able to use the tools that we provide in a very simple and easy way? Is it Can they understand it very, very quickly? Like, I log in, do I understand what the dashboard is telling me? Do I understand the API very quickly if I'm the developer? Can I build something within an hour? And so we're focused on being this kind of like the iceberg where you have at the tip of the iceberg, it's very, very simple to understand, it looks pretty easy, but then all this complexity underneath is taken care of for you. And my job is just to constantly push that water level up, up. So all you really see is the tip and you're able just to use all of that. And then the rest is just all this value that we're pushing in. And that's really what we focus on. So we make, doing tokens is complex. It's complex work, it's expensive. We just are focused on making it super easy. So Instament is not an NFT marketplace, um, but it does enable companies to create an NFT marketplace. Can you just talk about why a company would want to do that? Well, we leave it to them to figure out why they want to do that. We're infrastructure. So we, if they've decided that they want to do that, for whatever reason, they've got a business case, we're there to make it very easy for them. 
Just like in the payments, if somebody's selling some widget on an online e-commerce store, Stripe is not going to ask, well, why are you selling that? Like, that's not, there's no market for whatever. They're, they're not really going to yeah. care. If a transaction comes through, Stripe will take care of that transaction and handle the transaction, handle chargebacks and all that, right? So our approach is we're going to give you the tools, you decide if it's the right business case, and we'll make it a lot more cost-effective and we'll make it a lot easier. So what takes, let's say, six months to build, if you hired your own people, let's say half a million dollars, you can do for one hundredth and maybe in two weeks. Can you take us back to the, the moment you said you were looking 10 years into the future and like what's going to be a need that people are going to have for a long time? Was there an aha moment when you said, you know, this is the company that I should found? Or what, 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 if there's a story there, I'd love to hear it. There are a lot of stories there, um, some painful, but by and large, it's been this constant listening to people. Since 2017, I've probably held 200 events, a lot of them in this location, and you get to meet a lot of people and listen to a lot of ideas. And some of the ideas you, you filter, you're like, ah, I don't, you know, that might not really work out. But you listen to a lot of companies talk about their pain points. I'm listening for pain. Like, what's the pain in the market? And what's a big pain? And what's a pain that's not going to go away? And what's a pain that has a low-hanging, clearly obvious solution that somebody's like, hey, this is a solution. Like, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take it now. So uh, I figured, okay, this was something that I have to look for. And by the middle of last year is when it kind of had this, I wouldn't say it was a aha moment. It's the moment like, wait a minute, I think this is something I need to build. And so I, I set up the company in Delaware in September, October, we started filing for trademarks. In November, I had a proof of concept ready. December 1st, we had a customer. And what did that proof of concept look like? It was a very simple, you can mint um, images. And we had a customer, uh, live customer deliver Christmas uh, NFT um, drops by last year Christmas. So within three, four months, I was able to rapidly build and, and get all the paperwork done and, and raise some capital. By, by January this, of this year, we raised some capital. We raised about 450K in grant money from a bunch of different blockchain companies. It was a pretty rapid discussion with them. Like, okay, we like it. Here's money. And then I knew by March, April that I had to reduce my burn rate. Um, the past five months, I went out to Vietnam four times and I bought a, uh, a development company there uh, and renamed it to Chain House. We've got 100 developers there. So I reduced my, my burn rate by a fifth. So, like pushing up value and then mm-hmm. driving down costs has been effective for us. And I know in the early days you were thinking about, or one of the primary use cases I think you were thinking about was minting NFTs from Instagram. Yeah. And it's grown from that. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that was, a, that was the first idea. It was like, look, all this content on Instagram, why don't we mint it? And then I heard um, that Instagram's gonna do that. And so I'm like, all right, I can't do that anymore. I had to pivot away. I'm not gonna compete with Instagram. Um, just doesn't make sense. Maybe later we'll come back to that. But in the meantime, while we were talking, while we were working on that, we were meeting with potential customers and like, well, can you do this and can you do that? And I'm like, okay, we already organically start pivoting away and start addressing additional features. Um, so we were building something that you could mint an Instagram photo through an API anyway. And so we just said, hey, let me sh- let's shift it to this. Let's now add in analytics and let's add in the SLAs that enterprises need, right? They need be able, so let's say you have an accounting department with 500 people and the, how do you provision the ability for these people to tokenize stuff? How do you manage all the users and how do you get analytics? How do you do KYC? How do you do forensics, right? And all that. So if, if an enterprise wants to pay its employees using wallets and they set up 10,000 wallets, how do they manage all of that? 
right? The kind of helicopter money across the board. And 10 years from now, will we be using cryptos to pay payroll? Potentially true. So what tools do I need to be able to manage that? How do you prioritize? There's a lot of ideas you just mentioned that you could be working on. How do you, how do you pick what's next? It's just whatever the customer wants first, right? So the customer says, this is really interesting. And my response is like, are, is this something legitimate that you want to use now or the next year? And if the answer is yes, then that's our priority. Like whatever the customer wants is our priority. All right? We don't really need to worry about what we think the future looks like. We have an idea like at a macro level. Like this is what the future looks like. That kind of guides us. But then the customers are telling it, put this in, put that in. Now, obviously, there, there's a whole list of things that they want. And some of the stuff we say, we, that's not what we do. We don't do that. So we're very focused on, on certain things. And there, we make sure that there are things that we don't get involved with because then we can get too diluted. So the customer says, hey, can you add in the ability to create a decentralized exchange? Where that's not our thing. We can refer you to other people that can do that, but we're not. We don't do that. So we stay focused, but we prioritize based on what the customer demand is. Are there other examples of you gave an example of something you said we don't do that? Or can you give an example of where a customer asked for something or gave you feedback and you you iterated on that? Yeah, I mean, so with the customer, for example, they want delegated administrative capabilities. It's a boring subject, right? So you've got a bunch of admins in a company, and they're delegating the ability for other people to be able to log into the system. Right, and so they need you need tools to be able to do that. Right, you need structure. The crypto world doesn't have any of that. Right, so you have your own wallet, and that's it. Right, I can't create a wallet for you, and I can't create a wallet for ten thousand other people. Right, so a customer will come and says, "Hey, we want to create ten thousand wallets. How do we do that?" I'm like, okay, that is within our scope and within our domain, mm-hmm. uh, and that is a problem that we need to solve. And so, you know, we had conversations with like organizations like the World Bank. And the IMF, which is a, the IMF, is a client of ours uh, on the CBC think tank, and they're looking at well, how do we deploy, you know, a hundred million dollars to a million a million people through crypto, right? And so we want to be part of that solution. So that is within the scope. And so if, when they're talking about those kind of things, then we're like, hey, is this within the scope? If it is, and then we start to do some research around it. What would be the challenges, the technical, business, and all that? And then if there's a business case, that, hey, there's some money down the road to be made on this, we will then mm-hmm. move towards implementing it. And again, on the why question, so the IMF wants to distribute it, that massive amount of money, why through crypto? So um, so the World Bank actually had a contest and we, we placed pretty well on that contest. We would have placed first place had we been open source. We were not open source on a project. What they want is provenance and the movement of the money. They want it to be traceable. So let's say there's a country that is going to get $100 million to use for their changing their plumbing, the water system, right? Uh, and they get $100 million. How much of that actually goes to that project, right? And in general, not a lot. You can figure out all the reasons where money goes in the wrong places, right? And one of the things, I won't say crypto, one of the things that blockchain allows you to do is mm-hmm. you can approve and pre-approve who can and can't get money. And you can see, you can trace where that money goes and who's getting it, right? Uh, and so we built a, a, at that time we called it Flow Ledger, was this ability where I can authorize who can get the money across multiple hops of that money. Um, and now we've kind of folded that in, into Instamit. So we see, we see that if the World Bank is interested in something like that today, they will probably be more interested in it five years from now as that use case gets more and more viable. There are some challenges, but uh, blockchain can solve the ability to create transparency around public movement of money, right? So money that the public needs to see anti-corruption to make sure that the right people are getting the money, the right subcontractor is getting that money, um, blockchain can help with that. Got it. So in 10 years, what does Instrument look like? I don't know. Um, we want it to be infrastructure. We don't want anybody talking about it. Like It's not going to be people, we, people want to talk about it. 
like, oh, uh, you know, do you use instrument? And we, nobody's going to talk about it. It's kind of going to be like um, infrastructure in the sense that Wall Street uses infrastructure that people don't really talk about, like fixed protocol. You know, Tibco is a product used for messaging is heavily in Wall Street, but people don't talk about it, right? And I think we will eventually be, we, our goal is to be infrastructure that nobody really talks about. It's boring. It's not exciting, sexy, oh, we're doing, we're going to tokenize photos of, you know, apes and things like that. We're just doing boring stuff. It may be not great margins. It's like like low to medium margins, but high volume and very strong uh, moats and barriers to entry, right? So we just want to kind of dig in and build that and build that infrastructure. I love it, solving the non-sexy problems. And you kind of stepped on my my last question here, which you didn't know was coming. And I, the question is, in what ways do you expect regular people to be using crypto every day, like in 10 years, without even thinking about it? So in the early days of the web, there was always this question of like, will people put their credit card on a website? And like nobody asks that question anymore. And I'm curious, you know, and that's totally boring and it just happens every day. Like what, what are some examples that you see in the, in the near future uh, involving blockchain? So I think... If we do hit critical mass, which I think we will in ten years, like people will start to use cryptos, they'll use it for every every everyday kind of things. I don't know if it will be Bitcoin or if it's something. There's another stable coin called Dai or USDC or these other stable coins. What it will be, but as soon as vendors and retailers start to accept it, which they're starting to now, um, you see that announcement uh, with Circle and Apple. As soon as merchants start accepting that, people will start using it. And that scares a lot of people. That scares a lot of central banks and things like that. But I think we're far from that. But 10 years from now, I, I can see myself walking into a restaurant and having lunch and paying for that lunch using crypto, right? Why not? And possibly getting my salary in crypto. Like, I wouldn't mind that either. Jamil, thank you so much. Jamil Sheikh is the founder of three companies, Instrument, Chainhouse, and CBDC Think Tank. So much fun to have you. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. That's Jamil Sheikh speaking to me in New York at Artium's special fintech event at Rise, created by Barclays. And this is crafted from Artium. At Artium, we build incredible products, recruit high-performing teams, and help you achieve the culture of craft you need to build great software long after we're gone. We artisans love partnering with creative people to build their visions of the future. If you've got an opportunity you'd like to discuss or just want to learn more about us, check us out at thisisartium.com or drop us a line at hello at thisisartium.com. This podcast is new and we'd love your support. If you like today's episode and, hey, you've made it this far, maybe text a few craft-minded friends a link to the show. And please subscribe and join us as we highlight more great products and the people who make them. I'm Dan Blumberg. This is Crafted. See you next time. Mm-hmm.